What is GDPR? And more importantly, how does it impact you and your company? Join internationally known data privacy, data protection expert, Jonathan Armstrong and Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist to learn more about the burgeoning world of data privacy and data protection. After listening to this episode, you'll walk away with a greater understanding of what this means for you and your organization. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Over the next three podcasts, Jonathan Armstrong and I will be looking at some post-Brexit issues, including data protection, data privacy and data transfer, and sanctions, AML, and export control. In this episode, we take up sanctions, AML, and export control in the United Kingdom after Brexit. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Jonathan Armstrong, continuing to visit with us from an undisclosed location, uh, perhaps near London or perhaps not, for Life with GDPR. We're doing a short series on post-Brexit issues, and today we're going to take up a little bit different focus, sanctions, AML, and export control. So, Jonathan, uh, welcome back. Thanks very much, Tom. Thanks for having me. Jonathan, these are issues that uh, really came to the fore in the United States under the Trump administration. It was a much more liberal use of sanctions and export control laws. Uh, We had a major AML uh, law change uh, become effective January 1 of 2021 when the U.S. Congress overrode President Trump's veto of the National Defense Authorization Act. So these are things that uh, I think really every compliance practitioner is going to have to be thinking about, but I wanted to maybe take a look at it from from your perspective in the uh, in the United Kingdom, and we'll start with sanctions. Yeah, uh, do companies need to keep the same sanctions regimes and protocols in place? Uh, have additional sanctions, or what's your uh, sort of macro assessment of what companies need to do uh, for the foreseeable future? I think there is going to be some change here in the future. And I would certainly be looking at changes relating to Russia and certainly changes relating to China. I think that the UK in many respects has taken the lead in terms of some sanctions and obviously the uh, Uh, some of the intelligence behind sanctions penalties in the EU was derived from the UK security services. I think there'll still be some harmony in terms of sanctions. So existing EU sanctions will effectively carry across into the UK regime. But I think there's some potential for divergence in future. So, If one listens to rumours, there are rumours that the UK, for example, wanted to be tougher with Russia, but there were um, voices against a toughening regime against Russia, in particular those nations to the east of Europe who rely on Russia for their power uh, or energy needs. And obviously, any sanctions regime that turns the lights off at home isn't something that a government in that part of the world is going to vote for. And I think similarly, some countries in the EU rely on Chinese investment, particularly some of the former Soviet states. The UK does, to some extent, rely on Chinese investment, 
but perhaps not to the same degree in areas like infrastructure. And the UK government is expressing concern on a regular basis about the plight, particularly of the Uyghur Muslims in uh, uh, Xinjiang. And the Foreign Secretary made a statement just a couple of weeks ago on that. There are two UK parliamentary inquiries into that issue, and there are calls for the sanctions regime to be uh, uh, flexible enough to bring pressure on the Chinese authorities uh, uh, because of the plight of the Uyghur Muslims. My, uh, if I had my crystal ball out and was predicting the future, I would say that the UK probably would not want to do anything there before the summer because the G7 meeting is going to be in Cornwall in June. And my suspicion is the UK's host country won't want uh, any form of showboating uh, on UK soil. But, but I think there is a possibility if there's no agreement reached either bilaterally or uh, uh, th through that, uh, through those UN negotiations in June, there's a possibility of the sanctions regime toughening there. So for compliance professionals, there's a sanctions risk. There's also a, a more general supply chain risk as well, because I think the UK is persuaded that it wants to do something about Xinjiang in particular. The exact form of that remains to be seen. I believe you've heard that there's been a regime change in the United States and that uh, your beloved prime minister and his consort are, are not fans of our regime change. Nevertheless, um, I have seen uh, um, actions by the prior administration in uh, sanctions that were uh, done in concert with other countries. Would you see that sort of uh, continued um, at least discussions uh, with the United States around joint sanctions to at least the two countries you mentioned, Russia and China, and perhaps others? Or do you think that uh, because of the change at the really top of the political leadership, uh, the United Kingdom might go uh, in a different way than the United States? I think there are some areas where the UK might be more aligned with the current US administration than the former. And the Uyghur Muslims might just be one such area. As you say, um, Boris seems to be being advised by uh, consort's a nice word, his consort on matters relating to uh, 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 human rights issues and the environment. And, and that might mean that the that the Biden administration and the uh, Johnson administration have have more of an alliance in in those type of areas, though uh, it should be said that for all the criticism of one can level at Trump's door, I don't think he uh, uh, he he didn't turn his eyes to the Uyghur crisis particularly, and the uh, and the U.S. I know. Um, looked at some ways of responding to that, whether that was because of a genuine concern about the plight of Uyghur Muslims or whether it was because of a greater play between the Trump administration and China. 
is above my pay grade to have an opinion on. But uh, but I think there will be more. I think the unanimity, there's always been broad unanimity between the UK and the US on sanctions regimes. I think that will continue. Um, uh, and possibly with two exceptions, you'll remember that the UK uh, does not like the uh, prohibition on dealing with Cuba, particularly uh, Iran less so. So the UK will not follow the US's lead uh, in respect of those two countries, I think. Uh, let me now turn to anti-money laundering, because as I indicated in our opening, we had a major uh, reform in the United States, the first major reform on uh, some AML issues uh, since the uh, 2004-03 timeframe, and that's largely around shell corporations, ultimate beneficial owners, uh, and anonymous uh, owners of corporations. Uh, has the U.S. change impacted uh, what the U.K. is doing, or does has the U.K. had its own uh, reforms, which has led to a more robust system that you are advising clients to to fully embrace and have policies and procedures around? Yeah, I think the UK uh, has always, let's just say, talked a good game on AML for the longest time. So there's always criticism, particularly of the real estate market in London. But AML legislation has been around in the UK for a long time. It has been enforced, and we do broadly care about these things. You know, you need only look into, I don't know, investigations like the Abori uh, uh, investigation into uh, money laundering involving Delta State Nigeria to know that the UK hasn't been shy of taking on big cases uh, from time to time. And the legislation that allows the UK to bring in sanctions, its short name is SAMLA, also allows the UK to mirror the EU uh, AML regime and also to preserve and, uh, and introduce additional UK legislation as well. So I think in AML terms, things will probably look uh, somewhat similar post-Brexit uh, to pre-Brexit. Uh, uh, the EU sixth anti-money laundering directive won't become law in the UK. This was one of those pieces of legislation that was almost on the cusp and didn't uh, get in as a directive quickly enough. And as you'll remember, directives are, are funny things. They're not the same as regulations in terms of enforcement into local law. So there will be the odd difference because the EU regime has been updated through the sixth directive that the UK's won't. But I think in practical terms, the real difference we'll see is there'll be an extra list to uh, uh, check against to make sure that whatever you're doing complies with, you know, U.S. laws, U.K. laws, and EU laws. Uh, Jonathan, one of the unique aspects of U.K. AML uh, regimes, at least uh, different from the United States, is unexplained wealth orders. And are those uh, still in force? And can the serious fraud office or other uh, Crown Prosecution Services use those under still use those under appropriate circumstances? Uh, yes, they are. And I uh, hear rumors that there are some cases on the way 
under those uh, rules as well. So yeah, they, they were, um, uh, if you like, a UK domestic invention. You'll remember that there was a big case on that uh, over unexplained wealth that was, let's just say, disposed of in Harrods. And I think that that's something that the UK still looks at as a, as a weapon in the enforcement armory. Jonathan, we could turn now to uh, export control. And this was a major, uh, um, that's probably not fair. I don't want to say a major initiative, but a major change in focus by the Trump administration. They used export control much more aggressively. Um, because they used it much more aggressively, I think they uh, used more targeted sanctions uh, less of a broad scope, but more focused, more pointed, and a lot more uh, export control uh, directives. Is uh, the UK companies still need to uh, have those policies and procedures in place? And uh, from time to time, do you have to counsel clients on issues around export control? Yes, we do. And, and thankfully, that's Andre, Andre, not me. But the export control rule, rules uh more or less still apply. That's more or less the EU regime transposed into UK law. And those rules remain complex, particularly around things like dual-use goods, so so goods that might have a, a military use and a civil use, like, I don't know, bolts and screws in aeroplane wings, et cetera, et cetera. So there's uh, so the regime's broadly the same. There's an awful lot of technical detail there. And again, the, uh, the there are two regimes at play now, of course, because the uh, Department for International Trade in the UK will look at uh, controlling and monitoring compliance with the export control rules. And the same criminal provisions apply. So HMRC and the Crown Prosecution Service can prosecute uh, offences when required. So uh, I know that uh, uh, DIT are building up a team to look at this specifically, and I think we can expect the UK to still care about uh, things like export controls. Uh, I would just note for our audience that uh, a component of the Airbus enforcement action in the United Kingdom was around export control and information which got to the ground prosecution service leading to the uh, the full scope of uh, the Airbus settlement in the United Kingdom was uh, information and evidence developed by uh, that part of the UK government. Uh, so I guess it would lead me to conclude that the, um, the criminal offenses still can exist for expert control as well as uh, anti-money laundering and sanctions even after uh, Brexit in the United Kingdom. Would that be a fair assessment? I think it would. And I think, again, we might see convergence driven by the uh, divergence driven by the UK's slightly different political tolerances. So, again, watch out for activity uh, on uh, former Soviet states, on China, where the UK may not be as tolerant as the EU was. Jonathan, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but for our listeners, the uh, all of the topics we've talked about in the post-Brexit uh, series are uh, more fully fleshed out on the Quarterly website. We're going to link to those resources in our show notes. Uh, as more post-Brexit issues arise, I hope we can uh, continue this conversation. Thank you, Tom. 
This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode with Jonathan Armstrong on Life with GDPR. You can reach Jonathan at Quarterly Compliance in London. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Check out the show notes for more information on the KBR decision from the Quarterly uh, website and for information on GDPR compliance generally. I hope you will join us again for another episode as Jonathan and I start a three-part series on some early significant uh, enforcement actions and information regarding GDPR. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.